0: This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellum's packed show today. From the future of electric cars in Arkansas, a showcase at an event in Rogers this weekend, to sounds from a traditional Marshallese gathering, and the mapping out of a very busy weekend next month for musicians in the Fort Smith Symphony. That and much more all ahead. This is the second day of our on-air Portion of this fundraising month at 91.3 KUAF. I take just a few minutes before we get into our show to remind you that the reason we can bring you Ozarks at Large as well as everything else you hear on KUAF is because there are listeners who step up like you and make a financial contribution. John and Kate Duvall of Fayville are stepping up. We met their $150 challenge during yesterday's Ozarks at Large. So today, $200 challenge from John and Kay Duvall. This can be any kind of contribution. If, you're, if you've are if you been a, a supporter of KUAF for years, it still counts. If it's your first ever, it counts. If you're shifting to becoming a sustaining member of KUAF, it counts. We want to raise $200 during this hour of Ozarks at Large. That will be matched with $200 from John and Kay Duvall, meaning it's worth $400 for KUAF. And speaking of sustainers, again today, beginning right now, we are offering... Uh, A sort of uh, new partnership every afternoon of the fundraiser this week through Friday. We have a challenge pledge from Lynn and Joel Carver putting up their own money to encourage you to become a new sustainer of KUAF. When we receive 10 new sustainers during the afternoon hours all the way through this evening and we've met the challenge, they will... Add $100 to our fundraising total, as well as provide a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA for furniture, kitchen items, bedding kits, toiletries, and more for refugee families relocating to Northwest Arkansas. So we all win. All you have to do to help us meet that goal is become a sustaining member of KUAF. Perhaps you've given before, but you kind of wait till the on-air fundraisers. Now you can become a sustainer. At SupportKUAF.com, commit however much a month you want to commit, $5, $10, $30, what you can afford. By becoming a new sustaining member, you'll help us hit this goal. We're looking for 10 people to become new sustaining members at KUAF by the end of the day today. Thank you to Joel and Lynn Carver. Thank you to the Duvalls for their $200 challenge open to anybody in any way during this Ozarks at Large. You can make your contribution as you want, at supportkuaf.com. All right, midterm elections are just around the corner, but for some Arkansans, getting to the polls can present some obstacles. According to numbers from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, nearly one in three Arkansans has a disability. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth spoke with Jonathan Taylor, Executive Director for the Arkansas Governor's Council on Developmental Disabilities, about what his group is doing to make voting more accessible for everyone.
1: All right. So Jonathan, can you first off just kind of tell me a little bit, um, you know, about the number of people of Arkansas adults who have a developmental disability and break down what that term uh, developmental disability means?
2: Roughly 8% of the state has a cognitive disability and that tends to be classified along with developmental disabilities in general. DD, which is how we tend to refer to it, it's a group of conditions that cause impairment in physical learning language, or behavior areas, the conditions start during childhood and very often impact day-to-day functioning and usually last throughout a person's lifetime. Uh, the examples that tend to come up the most when people talk about DD are um, ADHD, autism spectrum disorder, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, spina bifida, and then everything that's considered an intellectual disability are all considered under that host umbrella of developmental disabilities.
1: And so when it comes to, you know, voting, um, what are some of the barriers that people with a disability have when when they go to vote or even, you know, getting registered?
2: Sure. I mean, when you start talking about barriers, sometimes it's just where do you start, where do you go? And certainly we would recommend if you're not sure about where to go first, I would go right to the Arkansas Secretary of State website. And there's a specific part under there, elections for voters. It's one of the first tabs that you can find. Or you can even type in Arkansas Secretary of State Voter View, and that will bring it up succinctly. So I would start from the comfort of your own home on your phone or your computer and look it up there to start. So when you talk about barriers at the polling places, sometimes that's things like architectural barriers. Arkansas is a rural state, so that means grass and gravel parking lots a lot of times but also some towns have a limited selection of suitable places to vote. So when you get into limited places to vote, grass and gravel, sometimes it's just getting around with a wheelchair or a mobility device, that can be a significant challenge.
1: And in Arkansas, I'm just wondering, you know, over time, how have we seen voting rights for people with disabilities change? Like, has it gotten easier or harder for people to vote in the last uh, however many years?
2: You know, certainly, you know, different voter laws pass and are challenged and are challenged again. I think what it really comes down to is less around the conditions that it takes to vote, and it's more just about accessibility more than anything else. Those are the complaints I hear about, less about registering to vote, but accessibility to those places. Um, Although I will tell you that some polling places do a good job of accommodating people with developmental disabilities to get in there to vote. We talked about grass and gravel there was one polling team in Washington County, they went out and got those um those big rubberized horse mats and they created accessible parking spaces for people that needed to vote. And so for those people in a wheelchair mobility devices, that made a, a huge difference. And it was creative thinking on, on the part of that polling team.
1: And so what are some ways, you know, that uh, polling places, cities, counties, election commissions, can some things that they can do in order to make voting more accommodating or accessible?
2: The best thing they could do is find a person with a disability and have them move through that space and take lots of notes and see what happens. That person who's experiencing that polling station is going to be the one that you're going to be able to see. Were they able to get in the door easily or were they able to get to the polling station? Was our table where you sign in, was that too high? Was it too low? They can take you completely through that space and see what the experience looks like. That's the first place I would say I would look at. Uh, There's a saying when it comes to work with people with disabilities, and that is nothing about us without us. When you include people with disabilities in the decision-making process, it's always far more likely to be equitable and accessible for everyone involved. The other thing I would do is just don't be afraid to make temporary adaptations to that environment. It's not hard to make um, a temporary ramp. Anybody could always partner with Arkansas Rehab Services or ICANN, which has extra equipment for, you know, accessible environments. They might be able to get a temporary ramp for you or something like that if that's what you needed.
1: Yeah. And does the, the council provide any um, resources or know any resources like for polling places or commissions that are, are looking to do this work and looking to, you know, change how things are done in their region or
2: area? You know, I would say that in terms of resources we can provide, we can connect anybody with the right resource. That That's really the biggest thing. The council itself doesn't provide direct services, but we always know who does. So reaching out to us to help us say, hey, you know what, who do I need to talk to at Secretary of State? Or you mentioned ICANN or Arkansas Rehab Services. Who do I need to reach out to there? Um, a lot of the service providers that are on the ground in the state might have that equipment on hand as well, too.
1: And I'm wondering for you, you know, why why is this work important? You know, for someone, I think people with disabilities often get kind of left out or, or feel like an afterthought, especially for something like voting. Many people probably just don't think about that. So why is this work important? And what do we lose when we don't include people in the process?
2: Well, when you look at developmental disabilities, they exist across every demographic there is, age, gender, race, religion, and party affiliation. In fact, the partisan breakdown of Arkansans with disability reflects the general population in the state. What it comes down to is that Arkansans with developmental disabilities should be part of the democratic process, just like everybody else. And ultimately, all good policy is also disability policy. And what I mean by that is disability is a demographic that anybody can join at any point in their life. You know, certainly, developmental disabilities, yes, it's something that you're often born with and it happens in childhood, but you could become injured and be disabled, and then all of a sudden, the parts of Arkansas that were easily accessible to you are not. When you take disability into account, when you build processes and policies, it makes it equitable and accessible to everyone and that's why it's important for people with developmental disabilities to have their voice be heard.
1: And then for voters with disabilities um, or you know caregivers, people who have someone in their life who this could help, um, what are some things that they need to know or resources for them?
2: If you have questions about your rights, uh, Disability Rights Arkansas has a great website and they have people that can answer your questions there as well. Uh, The other thing to do too is particularly when early voting starts, um, if you're not sure, just go to the Princeton precinct and ask some questions. You know, one thing to remember with the voting process is that all the poll workers are 100 percent volunteered and they all do this work out of a strong sense of duty and they want to do it right. So if you have questions, just start finding out, well, who are the poll workers in my town? Who is the precinct captain? And just start asking questions. And if they can't answer it, they'll find out. That's really what it comes down to. Um, the other thing to remember, too, is in general, if you're a person with a disability and you're going to vote, you have the right to bring somebody into the polling area with you to help. And it could be just something as simple as, here, hold my notes, which you're around to bring, or, hey, hit this button for me, whatever it is. But poll workers just need to remember that, hey, they can bring somebody in there with them and they can bring notes. And I will say this, notes in general... Are always a good thing. Whenever there's more than one ballot initiative, I have notes because I don't always remember exactly what I want to do. In fact, I'm, my son, one of my sons voted for the first time in the last election and he had lots of questions and we talked about it and he took notes and he brought his notes with him and he voted. He didn't tell us who he voted for because he said, that's my business. That's not your business, dad. Okay. And that's no different for people with disabilities. They have the right to go in there with notes with AIDS, vote how they choose to see fit and go from there just like the rest of us I, i think sometimes you talked about people with disabilities get pushed to the side i think it's important to remember that people with disabilities are just like the rest of us and they should be able to vote and participate in the democratic process just like the rest of us
1: all right that's pretty much all i had for you jonathan was there anything um else that you wanted to add say or think people should know
2: uh you know um more than anything else, I would say, get out there and vote. You, you just never know. Um, I, I certainly watched all of the last elections in the primaries, and we were talking with some of them. You know, the difference between one person getting elected or not was you know a handful of votes, maybe a hundred votes here or there, Don't think that your vote doesn't count. And if you are a person with an intellectual developmental disability, your vote counts. So if you have questions, get online from the comfort of your home. See, are you registered? Where are you going to go? Study the issues and just get out there and vote like everybody else. And if you have questions, go talk to the poll workers. I have never had a bad experience with a poll worker in the state. Then they generally want to do things right. And like I said, if they don't know, they will find somebody that can find the answer for you because they want you to vote. And we do too.
0: Jonathan Taylor is executive director for the Arkansas Governor's Council on Developmental Disabilities. He spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Daniel produces his stories inside the Karen Taha News Studio. Electric vehicles are becoming more popular. Plans for Arkansas's statewide network of charging stations approved earlier this month. And before that, Canoe, an electric car company, relocated its headquarters to northwest Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports that the Drive Electric NWA event this past Saturday was aimed at informing potential electric vehicle drivers about ownership and electric vehicle infrastructure. All right. And
3: would you like to fill some acceleration?
4: Sure, yeah. I was about to say,
3: do
4: you need a hand? I got it. That's insane. <laughs> Jason Klein's car can get up and go. Klein was one of about a dozen electric vehicle owners, part of the Tesla Owners Club of Arkansas, offering rides at the Drive Electric NWA event on Saturday.
3: He's not the one for the 16-year-old kid to
0: have. Uh, they, but... but because they thought
4: ahead, you can actually make a uh, limit to how fast they go. So you can go in here and. Uh Companies ranging from electric cooperatives and dealerships to People for Bikes, a nonprofit e-bike organization, pitched tents, unfolded tables, and brought their electric vehicles. Tesla Owners Club lined a section of the Pinnacle Hills Promenades parking lot and Rogers. In his black cowboy hat, Adrian Molgoza walked around the parking lot answering questions along the way. He is the sole Tesla mobile technician in Arkansas, and work keeps him busy.
5: So I just come out. They send me out there to go work on them. I'm like the first line of defense, I guess you could say, before it needs to go to the service center.
4: Once people set up an appointment, Malgoza travels where they need him. Most of the time, it's at the owner's house. He says mainly the vehicle issues are cosmetic, such as interior trims or problems with seat adjustments. And sometimes there will be an issue with water and a headlight or taillight.
5: And take a look, but most of the time it's just small things. There's never been, I don't think I've ever had a major issue
1: on, um, you know, as far as repair goes.
4: Passers-by pause and peer into Ozark Electric Cooperative's gray Rivian truck, including Morgan Fryman, who is considering getting an electric truck. Uh, I think it's just like a responsible thing to do. Like, I want kids, but I want to leave the planet in a good spot for them. And uh, if you can't afford to, you should. Like, if you, you have the means to make the place, like, the world a little bit better, for the next generation, I think it's our obligation to do so. Most Americans charge their electric vehicles at home. Chris Williams, the director of energy services at Ozark Electric Cooperative, says the power this requires is comparable to an electric hot water heater.
6: You know, they're about $30 a month to, to heat for a family of three or four. So it's very similar to electric vehicle. It's about thirty to forty dollars a month on your electric bill at our ten cent per kilowatt hour rate. So yeah, a lot of different ways to look at it.
4: William says it's about ninety cents an hour to charge the cooperative's Rivian truck at the co-ops ten cents per kilowatt hour rate. Williams says the co-op is offering a lower rate for people who can charge their vehicles at home during off-peak hours.
6: Um, And if people do that, if they charge from 10 p.m. till, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning, we'll help them on their electric bill because we do have ample supply of power during That was evening, late evening hours. And we'll give you 400 kilowatt hours a month at basically half price Five cents a kilowatt hour if if you'll just charge when you go to bed.
4: The number of registered electric vehicles in Arkansas is growing, and Arkansas's Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Development Plan, a plan to construct vehicle charging stations in the state, was approved earlier this month. This uses funding from the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program through the bipartisan infrastructure law. Clark Wheeler is the Chief of Staff at Francis Energy, an Oklahoma-based company operating electric vehicle chargers, and the company helped sponsored Saturday's event. He says issues like range anxiety are a barrier, but this could change as more charging stations are built.
2: So I, I think really, in the next couple of years, once those projects are in the ground across you know every fifty states, really, that's when folks are going to say, oh,
6: OK, this isn't an issue. I'm, you know, I'm going to buy an EV.
4: Francis Energy constructed charging stations every 50 miles in Oklahoma and since then expanded its network to other states, including Arkansas. For Wheeler, more educational resources about electric vehicles are needed.
6: At a gas pump, you just stick the
2: nozzle in and swipe your credit card and it starts fueling up, right? And, but um, when you drive up to a uh, EV charging station, you have to plug the car in The car and the charger have to do what they call a handshake, where the software recognizes the kind of car and the kind of charger. Then you have to process payment, and then you have to initiate charging. So it's a different process. There's more steps. And honestly, it confuses a lot of new EV drivers.
4: For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One at the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Anna Pope.
0: And this is... Ozarks at Large. Just ahead, John Jenner with the Fort Smith Symphony talking about a busy, busy weekend that musicians in the symphony will be having in just a couple of weeks. It's hard to believe you can run a radio station on the honor system, but it's true. Listeners decide to make a contribution to KUAF because they know it can't work any other way. Your friends are contributing. Neighbors, co-workers, clients, family members. Listener contributions are the single largest source of revenue for 91.3. That's why your contribution means so much right now during this on-air part of our monthly fundraiser. You can renew your support or make your first contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. Whatever your contribution, however you do it, whether you've been contributing for a while or this is your first one, if you can contribute up to $200 during this Ozarks at Large? That will be met by John and Kay Duvall of Fayetteville. We met their challenge yesterday of $150. It's a little higher today, but we know we can do it. That would be $200 uh, matched for KUAF. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. And we have again today, and it's what we're going to be doing all five days of this on-air fundraiser. Uh, We're not offering coffee mugs, CDs, or T-shirts as thank you gifts this fall. Instead, we have a partnership with Canopy, NWA, and great friends of the station, Lynn and Joel Carver, to encourage you to support your public radio station, 91.3, and provide gift cards for welcoming kits for refugee families relocating in our area. If between now and the end of our fundraising, The fundraising day at KUAF, not just during Ozarks at Large. We have 10 listeners become sustaining members. That is, uh, commit to a monthly amount that will then be taken from your bank account or your paycheck. There are different ways to do it uh, from your debit card. If you'll commit to becoming a, a sustaining member, if we get 10 of those, We get $100 from the Carvers, and they also provide a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA. That's for uh, toiletries, bedding kits, whatever can go into a welcoming kit for refugee families who are relocating to northwest Arkansas. So you get to decide the amount of your monthly contribution. My wife, Laura, and I have been uh, sustaining members for some time. It's a very easy way to make a significant contribution to the public radio that you use. You can do so right now at support.com. KUAF.com. And, and really, if you, if you did it right, you could become a sustaining member and make a contribution that's enough to meet the Duval's $200 challenge for this hour of Ozarks at Large. Help us hit these goals all at once. However much you can afford, however you want to support your public radio station, it's very simple right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Fayetteville Animal Shelter and Services, supported by the City of Fayetteville, and dedicated to the welfare of animals and the people who associate with them. Information at 444-3456 or Fayetteville Animal Services on Facebook. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio, one of my favorite people on the planet, John Jetter. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. Yes, who is uh, the music director and conductor of the Fort Smith Symphony. Welcome back.
5: Yeah, good to see you. It's been a while.
0: It has been, and the season's underway.
5: Yeah, we had a a wonderful season opener a few weeks ago, and a great turnout, which was uh, wonderful because it was a a football game day, and there was a lot of things happening in town in Fort Smith, and uh, it's great. It's great that we had so many things happening in town, but yeah, played uh, Dvorak New World Symphony. One of our uh, cellists in the orchestra uh, just did an amazing Haydn cello concerto. Uh, Everyone in the audience... Didn't realize that she was an, or, you know, an orchestra member, and she—they thought we had brought her in from somewhere uh, exotic, and uh, yeah, it was fun. And then we played a Max Richter piece on the Nature of Daylight, which is a beautiful piece. You don't really hear it often live, so it was a great first concert.
0: Once the season gets going. It seems like it's sort of a steamroller because now yeah. you're doing all sorts of things.
5: Yeah. So our ne- we we couldn't be doing uh, we couldn't be changing gears more than we are for our next concert, which is on Saturday, October fifteenth. Uh, it's at seven p.m. at the ArcBest Performing Arts Center in downtown Fort Smith. It's called Symphonic Superheroes. And we're going to be performing uh, a lot of music, uh, all film music. So uh, I'll run down the list really uh, quickly. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, that's from the 1991 film. Great score by Michael Kamen. Uh, Music from Iron Man, which is very uh, excellent. Uh, Batman, The Dark Knight. X-Men, actually it's a compilation of music from the various X-Men films. Black Panther, terrific score. Wonderful uh, score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wonder Woman the, uh, the, uh, from 2017, the Gal Gadot movie. Uh, Hans Zimmer. Uh, uh, Rupert Gregson Williams, also uh, the, one of the composers for it. Nowadays, a lot of these films are uh, composed by teams, Mm-hmm. So a little little change from the old days. We'll be doing music from Transformers, Captain America, The Amazing Spider-Man, and Mission Impossible Three.
0: Nice.
5: So it's quite, uh, uh, I think, kind of an eclectic mix of music. And uh, the orchestra is gigantic. We have an expanded brass section, expanded percussion section. It's going to be loud. And uh, I I think all the music is terrific. It's some of the some of the coolest music we can program. And um, I just. I'm really excited about it personally, and we have a lot of interest. And I, for anyone out there, I mean, this is, you know, a lot of times we'll say, well, this is the concert to. I could have said that about the last concert. That was the concert to to be at because it had Dvorak, New World. But this is music in the concert hall. Is just, you know, it's just incredible.
0: Even if you are someone, say, like me, who sees almost every superhero movie there is in the theater, uh, you still haven't heard this music like this.
5: Right, exactly, and it's straight concert format. There's no video or anything like that. No, it's uh, it's it's straight. It's a chance to focus on the music. But uh, this the the film scores uh, that we're going to be performing. They're so much fun. I mean, it's full orchestra garb, of course. But uh, they're, they're fun. Sometimes they're a little tongue-in-cheek. Uh, I like that there are some uh, pop music elements mm-hmm. that are in there. I mean, we'll have an electric guitar on stage and uh, some really interesting uh, uh, African percussion for the Black, Black Panther. Panther. yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of similarities in, in, in some of the music. There's, uh, it's, the, the brass is always really prominent. I mean, if... If anyone's a, a you know French horn or trombone or trumpet fan, I mean this is it. I mean there's more playing for these guys and percussion actually than there would normally be like even in a big symphonic program. That is Saturday, October fifteenth at seven p.m. I do want to mention a couple things. Afterwards, there is an after party at the Bakery District, and that's where the whole audience is invited, and they're. Uh, their ticket is a free, quote-unquote, beverage ticket. And that's not
0: a VIP thing. That that's everybody. Correct. That's
5: everybody. And uh, we'll have live music by the Fort Smith Symphony Cool Cats Jazz Quartet there. I think also there's going to be kind of a informal art show of superhero themed artwork, uh, created by Fort Smith Public School fifth graders, like a bunch of them. Nice and and that ties into on uh, two days later on Monday is those are our annual Earthquake Schools concerts and we have all this superhero music ready, right? We might as well play that for the fifth graders Absolutely. and get, that's going to be their introduction to orchestral music. And I think you know. We we talk about we, we it's an exposure thing, and we always tell the kids get involved in something creative, whether it's music, theater, dance, whatever. Uh, I think we'll recruit a lot of brass players out of that, a lot of <laughs> band members. So so it's gonna be there, it's gonna be a busy weekend. Uh, I'm gonna continue on. So that earthquakes uh, Monday, October seventeenth, and that's for participating schools only. That's about it's two performances. It's about twenty six hundred kids total. And that's a participating schools thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, on uh, Monday evening, October 17th at 7 p.m. at the ProPAC building, which is uh, at 1100 Garrison Avenue in downtown Fort Smith, we're going to be performing our second uh, concert in our Perspectives Chamber Music Series. It's called Legendary Voices, and it's going to feature the Fort Smith Symphony String Quartet, uh, a fellow named uh, Brad Klanch, who's a native flute performer, and Andy DeBoer, who is our principal clarinetist. Yeah. And it is a concert of uh, music by indigenous composers, and uh, it's, a, it's a, in a chamber music setting. We'll be performing uh, Lewis Ballard's Fire Moon String Quartet. Lewis Ballard is recognized as the first Native American concert composer, born really close to here in uh, Miami. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about him before. He's, he's a, a focus of our activities this year throughout the year. And uh, that'll be our string quartet's Ergene uh, Kong, who a lot of people, of course, know in, uh, right. in our listening area. She's our concert master of the orchestra. Our associate concert master is Lori Fay. She'll be playing. Jesse Collette is our principal viola. And uh, James Robert Bradshaw is our principal cellist. So that'll be the string quartet. So they're going to perform the Ballard Fire Moon. Then we'll be performing uh, Carlos Nakai's Whipperwill song. That's for string quartet and Native American flute. Clonch will be our flute soloist. He's the founding member of a uh, Native American—he calls it flute-centric group called Ingenuity, and you'd have to see how yes. it's spelled, you know. Yes. And he's also the senior producer at the Chickasaw Nation uh, Tribal Government uh, Multimedia Center. Um, so we're going to do that, and then uh, I think a lot of people know the name Jared Tate— who is uh, a terrific uh, Chickasaw composer. And urgene uh, is going to be performing a piece. Well, I'm not going to say... I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it, it um, translates to Raccoon Talk. Ooh. And it is for solo violin and audience. So... I'm highly intrigued. Yes, yeah, yeah. So and to say
0: more would be to— um, Yeah, there's yeah. just
5: a few audience. Yeah, there's the, the audience will get a few cues. I may I may jump in and help with that a little bit. Just a few things they do, but um uh th- there's you know, there, there's a lot of uh, tradition and uh, I guess folklore about the raccoon in uh, indigenous culture. So it's kind of based on that. And then we'll close with the Clarinet Quintet uh, featuring Andy DeBoer by Jack Kilpatrick. I still do not have a succinct way of describing Jack Kilpatrick. He's uh, often referred to as a Cherokee composer. He was born in Stilwell, so he's r- r- right by here. Right. Um, he is recognized as being one of the, the founders of, or the father of Native American concert music. But his actual uh, uh background in terms of his uh indigenous heritage has always been kind of a question, mm. and it kind of doesn 't matter because he's really he did he did so much for uh for that culture he did a lot with uh, saving like the cherokee language he 's credited with that his wife was cherokee and uh, he's a, as Jared Tate uh, accurately said he's uh, he 's a maven of uh, Native American concert music. So I up. thought you know having him on the program made a lot of sense. And anytime you talk about uh, indigenous uh, music, his his name always comes up at the very least in a hugely like supportive way. So that's our performance, and that's Monday night. That's the That's Monday ninth, the seventeenth of October at seven p.m. There is a uh, everyone invited post concert reception. Okay, and then on the eighteenth that. Um, program that we just talked about, the chamber music program, will be repeated at the a Museum of Native American History in Bentonville at 7 p.m. Uh, and then basically we, we have this project, as you know, all year uh, focusing on indigenous composers. So I think uh, Mona reached out, heard about it, and reached out to and said, hey, would you be willing to uh, do something with us? So we've got this chamber music concert all ready to go, so we'll Wonderful. just bring it up here. So that weekend... Help me out again. Okay. So we've got uh, Symphonic Superheroes. And that is? That is Saturday, October 15th. With a reception after. And that's with the after party. Yeah, we have to get all of our parties straight. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. That's a 7 p.m. ARC Best Performing Arts Center. uh, Tickets at fortsmissivity.org. That's on the 15th. On the 17th at uh, 9 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. is Earquake. Those are our schools programs. That's not a... That that's that's through the various school systems. Right. That's not really open to public. That's on the, Monday the seventeenth at Monday. Also on Monday the seventeenth at seven p.m. at uh, the Propag Building in Fort Smith is our uh, Legendary Voices Chamber Music Concert with something afterward. With something afterwards. Got to get the party straight. Yes. yes. And then on Tuesday, October eighteenth. Uh, the string quartet and soloists are at the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville uh, for a 7 p.m. concert. I don't know about the party. They're going to have to, you know, <laughs> I guess they're going to have to do a party.
0: What are you doing Wednesday morning, the 19th?
5: Uh, not much. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that is a packed weekend. Yeah, yeah.
0: John Jetter is the music director and conductor of the Fort Smith Symphony. Our conversation took place in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio last week. You can find out much more at fortsmithsymphony.org. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thank you so much for being with us for this edition of Ozarks at Large. It is the five, one of the five days that we set aside every September for on-air fundraising, a way to remind you that we can hear about electric cars and voting accessibility, and visiting dignitaries, and the Fort Smith Symphony, and talk to John Waters—all in one hour on a on a unique program called Ozarks at Large. We've been able to grow this into a daily show that covers so many different topics, has so many different voices on it, because of your support. We've been doing this now for more than twelve years. Can you believe that? A daily program for more than twelve years couldn't do it, could not do it without your support. And you can provide that support at supportkuaf.com. John and Kay Duvall have provided $200 of their own money as a, a nudge to you. If you can afford up to $200 in any sort of membership form, that will match a challenge that exists for this hour of Ozarks at Large. You know, during these weeks, you're asked one important question. Does the information matter to me enough to support it? So think about it. When you support KUAF, you're helping produce the national and international coverage we hear every day from Morning Edition All Things Considered. You're helping initiate the formative conversations on Ozarks at Large, as well as 1A and Fresh Air, and all the great entertainment from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me to Radio Lab, This American Life, The Pick and Post, the KUAF Vinyl Hour, and more. Your support helps fund local initiatives like our podcast, and yes, like Ozarks at Large and the Community Spotlight, with unbiased coverage of local issues with local voices. I don't think you can really put a price on that. It's invaluable, but you can decide to give what you're able to support this vital news service you depend on every day. You can do that at supportkuaf.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, you can do that at supportkuaf.com. If we have 10 New sustaining members the rest of this uh, fundraising broadcast day. That means $100 from Joel and Carver to our fundraising total and a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA that will help refugee families relocating in northwest Arkansas. All the details about becoming a member or becoming a sustaining member are available at supportkuaf.com and thank you.
2: KUAF is your source for news and entertainment both on the air and in your podcast feed. With podcasts like Ozarks at Large, Points of Departure, The Lunch Hour, and Undisciplined, you can rely on KUAF to bring you a diverse lineup of culture and news whenever you need it. Find our entire lineup of podcasts at KUAF.com slash podcasts.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. Republic of the Marshall Islands President David Kabua visited northwest Arkansas last weekend, hosted by Arkansas Marshallese Council General Eldon Alec. The my president toured the area and addressed constituents at a traditional Marshallese gathering. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports.
7: Hundreds of Marshallese gathered at Jones Center Community Park Saturday afternoon to both celebrate Manit, an annual cultural holiday, and a visit by Republic of the Marshall Islands President David Kabua, First Lady Ginger Kabua, and their entourage, who were running a little bit late. An all-male crew of volunteers grilled up a feast in a forested pavilion.
3: We do the barbecue for the people. What are you barbecuing? Chicken and hot
7: manit is observed annually back in the Republic of the Marshall Islands the last Friday of September with oceanic canoe races weaving competitions ball games and of course music yeah. The band Jebro entertained the crowd here, surrounded by various concessions, including Islander vendors, U.S. Army recruiters, local police, healthcare reps, and several Marshallese advocacy nonprofits.
5: Uh, my name is Matthew John, and I'm the media assistant at Marshallese Educational Initiative. I see a lot of our partners, and I see a lot of people from our local community, and it's it's amazing turnout, and I'm glad to see so many people out here today. Mana is celebrated because we have, it's like so important to our heritage and our culture. And to pass it down to the youth from our elders, is kind of like creating this chain reaction to keep our identity and our culture alive.
7: President Kabua finally arrived, was seated under a white tent with local Islander leaders and the hour long proceedings opened with the national anthem. The crowd in Marshallese, his remarks also streamed live over local Marshallese radio. Dozens of vehicles filled the parking lot packed with islanders tuned into the broadcast. President Kabua spoke about boosting U.S. entitlements to Marshallese migrants, an effort to renegotiate a U.S. RMI Compact of Free Association. Under the compact, Marshallese nationals are free to live and work in the U.S. without visas. In exchange, the U.S. maintains a strategic military base on the RMI. The original two-state compact struck in 1986 traces back to U.S. Cold War nuclear weapons tests on the Marshalls that partially destroyed portions of the indigenous land base. The impoverished island nation is now at grave risk due to climate change-driven rising seas. Preceding his trip to northwest Arkansas, President Kabua on September 20th raised these issues. Before the 77th session of the General Assembly of the United Nations in New York.
3: We value the United Nations as our primary international stage. But if the world does not adequately respond to the island nations, and as seas rise, then there is really no United Nations at all. For the Marshall Islands, our first and most threatened priority is to never cease to safeguard our nation's land, ocean, and maritime boundaries. And as seas are rising, and to ensure our communities have a safe, secure, and fully democratic sovereign future. My country, the Marshall Islands, was ground zero for the testing of the 67 nuclear and thermonuclear weapons for 12 years. The exposure of our people and land has created impacts that have lasted and will last for generations. These impacts to our human rights, land, culture, health and lives are burdens that no other country or nation should ever have to bear. While we have shared goals and strong partnership with the United States of America, we also have grave development challenges and essential needs to better assure present and future marginalized generations of their growth and well-being. We welcome recent progress with the United States of America tours a renewed compact of free association and with it, a targeted trust fund. It is vital that the legacy and contemporary challenges of nuclear impact testing be better addressed and that climate change be addressed with the urgency and commitment it deserves. And that our voice as an equal partner is strengthened. We know that the United States stands tall for its renewed engagement with the Pacific Islands. And it is essential for all of us to ensure that words are met with actions.
7: After compact talks between the U.S. and RMI government this summer broke down, RMI President Kabua was recently invited to meet with the U.S. State Department's envoy for compact negotiations to restart talks. The existing 20-year compact expires next September. Marshallese first arrived in Springdale in the late 1980s in search of employment, health care, and education. More than 15,000 Marshallese have since settled in northwest Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. John
0: Waters, the filmmaker, writer, actor, and artist, will be a guest of the Central Arkansas Library System next month. Waters' contributions include the groundbreaking movie Pink Flamingos with Divine and the film Hairspray that then became a successful Broadway musical. Waters has also toured with a one-man show, and he'll bring the latest version of that show to Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock October 22nd as part of the Six Bridges Book Festival. Last week, we had a chance for a quick visit with him. He says his updated show... False Negative negative. An Evening with John Waters reflects changes in what he talks about since the start of the pandemic. That's why
8: it's so important to stay in touch with your audience, to see how they are, and to come to Little Rock, somewhere I might never come to, you know, same reason you might never come to Baltimore, is to just see... Um, my audience and what's so amazing to me, no matter where they live in the country, I could be in New York, I can be in Arkansas, I can be in canada they 're all smart and funny and have a good sense of humor about themselves and are a little bit angry and wear good outfits
0: <laughs> has Has what you talk about changed since the pandemic?
8: Oh constantly it does you know i 'm in the middle of writing a new one now i mean uh certainly because I, I rewrite my show once a year, usually. And um, completely, and it's a 70-minute monologue, so it's a lot, you know. And then I have a Christmas show, too. So I'm constantly updating it, yes. yes. So you will get a pretty up-to-date one.
0: 70 minutes. Um, how much work does that take to get it down to be a monologue that you can deliver? And as- memorize. And memorize,
8: exactly. A lot. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I do about 40 a year. So um, and then I host the John Waters camp. I just did, so I'm doing two punk rock festivals I host and other ones next week. Um, I do Halloween shows. I do an Easter show, a birthday show, a Valentine's show. So I and write books and write movies. And so I'm pretty busy. I'm busier than I've ever been in my whole life. That's great, isn't it? Old chickens make good soup. <laughs>
0: Your most recent book is is not memoir. It's not nonfiction. It's liar mouth. It is fiction. How is that different? I mean, you do. You've made <laughs> fiction movies. It's so
8: different than writing a movie in a way because movies are all fiction. But the, the difference is that you can write deeper in the character's feelings and what they're thinking and everything. You don't have to show every single thing like you do in a movie. Um A movie is shorthand for human emotions where a book you can spend the whole book on really a minute if you wanted to so uh I think it was um took three years to write i I never turned in a book until i've done five or six drafts and uh that 's when it gets if it's ever gonna get good that's when it does
0: It sounds like you have a somewhat disciplined work routine
8: beyond discipline yes uh uh, to the minute, um, Monday to Friday, I get up at 6, and I write at 8, not 7.59, not 8.01. But people say, how can you be that? This is easy. I can go in the other room and do it in my underwear. I don't have to go into a job. Nothing that I'm against that. but I am my own boss because I like my job, and um but it, you never, people say, "Was well, it's fun to write. Writing isn't fun. It's fulfilling. It's You feel proud about it if it works. But it's not fun. Fun is when you're off work and the book came out and you just got a great review. <laughs> uh, and you went out to dinner and had a drink. That's fun.
0: <laughs> when you're doing this disciplined work sort of regimen or schedule, do you work on one thing? Or can you, okay, the, the novel's not working right now. Let me think about. No. No. One.
8: If I'm working on a novel, I work on that. If I'm working, no, one at a time.
0: And by the way, congratulations for Pink Flamingos being added to the Library of Congress National Register.
8: <laughs> Even I am appalled. No, it's, it's really amazing. And I'm also, you see, I'm getting a, a star on Hollywood Boulevard, which yeah. is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, I said on Bill Maher, I'm so respectable like a puke. <laughs>
0: well, how do you find out that a film is getting is part of the national registry
8: they send you this thing and call you up and tell you and i was amazed by it and uh i didn't even know it was possible or you know but i think it, you have to not, somebody on the board who does it has to nominate it and then they have to make a, a thing for it and so i found this all out later i had no idea worked. you never know until it's announced they don't even tell you that you're a possibility or you're nominated or anything no, I'm really proud about any irony. I thought it was amazing, you know, and I think Criterion have a lot of help on that because they've been releasing a lot of my old films, and they restore them, and Criterion has, you know, really put the class back in the art, so they they really are prestigious, and I think that, that helped very much, too.
0: <laughs> Finally, what is it like for you 10 minutes before you go on stage for
8: Well, I have to be by myself for an hour before to just click it in to get in there and to just, and right before I walk in, every time I think, am I going to remember it this time? I've been doing it forever, but I constantly change it. I guess the scariest is right the first night of the Christmas tour when you have a whole new show, you've never done it. You know, I have my little timer with me, but I usually, pretty close, it should be around 70 minutes and then 20 minutes of questions. The questions are easy. Um, But, uh, Right before you go on, I'm not nervous. I'm just like, you take a deep breath, you pace around. You know, I don't talk to anybody right before I go on backstage. I'm just, I got to click it in. So I guess I'm a method speaker.
0: False Negative, an evening with John Waters at Ron Robinson Theater in Little Rock is October 22nd and is hosted by the Central Arkansas Library System. More information about that event and all of the other presenters who are going to be part of the 2022 Six Bridges Book Festival can be found at 6 bridgesbookfestival.org. Our conversation took place last week.
1: Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, opens its 68th season October 29th at Walton Arts Center. Maestro Paul Haas and Sona musicians present Imagine Big, performing bold works by Jessica Meyer, Dmitry Shostakovich, and Modest Muzorgsky. Connecting the works is a spirit of ambition, imagination, and contagious energy that speaks to Sona's biggest season yet. Tickets at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. Botanical Garden of the Ozarks hosts its annual autumn gala, a casual night in Nolens. Thursday, October sixth, five thirty to nine p.m. outdoors on the great lawn. The gala will feature live jazz music, a Cajun-inspired chef-prepared dinner, plus Hurricane Punch as its signature cocktail, games of chance, and live and silent auction items. Tickets available at bgozarks.org/autumngala. Ninety-one point three
0: KUAF Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Lost Bridge. This is your. Public Radio Station, I'm Kyle Kellum's Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Anna Pope, Jacqueline Frolic, Timothy Dennis. Produced today's show inside the Herald and Blanchcock News Studio. Thanks to everyone who has contributed to KUAF during this month-long fundraiser and during the first uh, couple of days of the on-air portion of our fundraiser. Thanks to John and Kay Duvall who issued a $200 challenge today during Ozarks at Large all calls up to $200, or when we get to $200, that will be matched by the Duvalls of Fayetteville. Thank you so much. Thanks to the Carvers and Canopy NWA for partnering with us. If we get 10 people who become new sustainers of KUF, not necessarily new members, but you might transfer your membership to becoming sustaining where you get 5 or 10 or $20 a month, 10 of those during the day. And it's $100 more from Joel and Lynn Carver for us, and it will also mean that the Carvers give a $300 gift card to Canopy NWA for welcoming kits for refugees who are relocating in northwest Arkansas. So thank you, everyone, who is uh, working to make this uh, work for so many different people. If you haven't contributed yet, maybe ever, it's very simple, Support supportkuaf.com. Programs like Ozarks at Large, which i got to tell you are not on many radio stations, especially those in towns and markets our size. We can't do this without you and tell you about the work that's going on around our region and around the state. The only way we can do that, the only way we've been able to develop this show and keep it strong and successful and independent is because of listeners just like you who decide an amount that they can work with and then make that contribution at supportkuaf.com. Again, the amount completely up to you. If you'd like to give $5 or $10 a month over the course of the year, that becomes, you know, 60 or $120, a significant gift for us to meet the goals we have. We have to pay the people who work here. We have to pay for the rights to Morning Edition and all things considered. We have to keep the lights on. We're nonprofit. The biggest part of our budget comes from you and listeners like you. That's who we answer to, and we appreciate it being that sort of situation. If you do too, and you can afford it, support KUAF.com. No noon show tomorrow. We are preempted by NPR's live coverage of the January 6th uh, hearings, but we will have a noon show again for you on Thursday.